Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about things that are weighing on our minds. I am Don. I am one of your four co-hosts today. Uh, I am a gay fat man, so I feel like I have some expertise on the subject. My name is Dan Oliverio. I'm an author and public speaker, and I talk all the time about what comes up for people when fatness intersects with sexuality and relationships. And I'm a chubby chaser. I think uh, really fat guys are really hot. I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm Dan's husband. I'm a writer in West Hollywood. And I am very fat and you know, adequately gay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Michael Willer. I am, uh, like Dan, also a chubby chaser. And I'm a writer-director out here in Hollywood as well. And a uh, friend uh, of all three of these fabulous fellows sitting before me. I think one thing that would be interesting is also sort of bifurcating like the fact that Don and I bring uh, very little expertise, but a lot of personal experience to uh, the issues that we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about. Whereas Dan and Trevor are much more plugged into, I think, the community and they'll bring sort of that other side of the issue as well, which yeah. I think is part of what will make this interesting, at least for me as a, uh, yeah. as part of one of the people on it. Cool. And there's some generational experience, too. We have many people here of different age groups uh, looking at this side from this from different perspectives on that level, too. Yeah. Michael and I are uh, millennials. <laughs> And uh, Dan and Don bring the uh, the Gen X, the proud Gen X, the proud Gen X, the, the forgotten Gen <laughs> X perspective. So one of the things we want to talk about on the podcast is sort of like weight issues as they come up and get put in front of the American public. Like, what are we looking at right now? And one of the things that Trevor brought up, I thought was pretty interesting, was something I completely missed when I first watched the Black Widow trailer. David Harbour is in the the new movie. He's playing. Um, I think it's Red Star. I think you're Red right. Star. Uh, the the like. Russian uh, copycat Captain America. Yeah. And it's David Harbour. He is, you know, scruffy, chunky. And we see him kind of suiting back up and commenting that the suit still fits. And then um, one of the other um, widows, I don't remember the, what the, the, the collective. Oh, she says, oh, you got fat. <laughs> um, and immediately I was kind of seeing in the, the fatosphere on Twitter, people expressing concerns like, oh, I hope this doesn't turn into like just David Harbour just being a big fat joke, which we kind of saw in Endgame with Thor. Uh, well, we saw the concern. Thor. I'm not sure. Well, people yeah. are really still divided on it. I yeah, have yeah. conflicting feelings, but ultimately I feel like it, like the fact that they didn't have Thor lose weight in the movie to yeah. then redeem himself. The fact yeah. that he, you know, he's fat at the end of the movie and he's kind of taking over the, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I guess Endgame spoilers, <laughs> by the way, but it's been... Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah. It's been about and a year at this point, I think. I think it's also important to look at the intention behind the choice to make him fat, which is, I mean, if you if you read the interview with the writers, they were, I think, certainly very aware of that decision and kind of one of the repercussions of having jokes about fat people in the movie. But at the same time, they made a specific choice to resolve his emotional issues as a character throughout the course of the movie. And a part of that journey that was not there, which frequently is in stories about fat people, is that he didn't have to lose weight. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have to lose weight to be a superhero right. or to remain a superhero. In fact, he has a magical transformation at the end where he slams down in his new costume, shows up, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that would be a great opportunity for the writers to say, and all the weight is gone and he's yeah. his old self again. Mm -hmm. But they didn't make that choice. He, The problem wasn't the weight. The problem was his mindset. Yeah, um, and I appreciated that. Interesting. They've already commented on, you know, there's Guardians of the Galaxy 3 mm -hmm. uh, coming out and also the uh, the new Thor movie. And they're kind of like, oh, like we don't know if Thor is still going to be fat or not, because I feel like it's one of those things where like 
they can't really win because people are going to be upset no. if it's still uh, Chris Hemsworth in a fat suit or they're going to be mad that like, oh, well, of course you had Thor lose weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be one of those no win situations, which I think is kind of where we maybe just to bring it back to the David Harbour issue of there's this concern, as you pointed out. Yeah. Like, is this going to be a perpetual fat joke through the movie, which would be incredibly horrible. But see, see it's a def- it's a delicate balance because if you want to take away the stigma mm-hmm. from fatness, you can't make it verboten to ever talk about fat. Yeah. So you, it, it, it has to be okay to, to point out, not in some sort of vindictive way, but just like to acknowledge that, oh, this person is fat. This person takes up more space. Mm-hmm. This person needs more room. And that's just how it is. That's fine. It becomes another issue when you tie stuff to that, like they're fat, therefore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, yeah. I do think Endgame actually treated it pretty well, too. I agree with you. Because when he shows up and he's overweight, like he, they do point it out a couple times. They're poking fun at it, but it's not that he's fat. It's that there's this big change in the room. And like it would be weird not to say something about mm-hmm. it. Well, right? and I actually don't think they made fun of it in the sense that there's there is no character that mm-hmm. starts ragging on him for being fat. Right. right. Yeah. Yes, that's true. All the laughter is in the audience. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's actually a really good and, point. And that's not, I mean, you could say the filmmaker needs to take responsibility for that, but the problem with, oh, he's fat, therefore he's ineffectual, mm-hmm. that's the public's mindset. That is not anybody, that is no character in the movie, mm-hmm. which is verified by the fact that, you know, Thor keeps being a superhero and Thor keeps being fat. And I think another interesting issue, going back to David Harbour for a second, is that. I mean, you look at David Harbour, and he's certainly a husky guy, to use a colloquialism, but he's not that fat. Like, he's he's what you would call Hollywood fat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's yeah. he's he's a yeah. guy who is just not super skinny and, and you know, shredded, um, which I think is is also part of the conversation. That was part of my reaction to it. I, I think the reason why I didn't hit my radar is because he's not fat. Yeah. Like, the outfit is tight on him, which shows that his body has changed somewhat. But he's not fat to me. Like, I didn't yeah. register that. But so it, the comment went right over my head. He's he's definitely Hollywood fat. And there's even um, another interview where he talked about, you know, talking to a, a casting director. He's like, well, you know, you're not the funny fat guy, but you're not the action hero either. Mm-hmm. You're in this weird in between. And it's just it's difficult for us. Didn't you mention there was a story about him being turned down for the blob for being too fat? <laughs> yeah, um, I believe it was an interview with Vulture. He talked about um when they were casting uh, the Wolverine, uh, he got a call and said, oh, David Harbour, you're in town. You have There's a perfect role for you, the blob. So he goes to the, the audition and he's like, oh, he lifts up his shirt. He's like, I got your blob right here and slaps his stomach. And then um, the director ended up saying to him, like, you know, David, you know, you're a really great guy, but we're just, we're concerned about putting you in the fat suit. It just seems like it might be too much for you. They were so horrified of seeing someone fat that they thought he would keel over on the spot. And the director specifically said, you know, but when you lifted up your shirt, I mean, and we saw, I mean, oh, it was so unhealthy. Oh God. It was a health issue. It was, well, Mm. because it's always a health issue. It's never that we hate fat people. It's just that we hate how unhealthy fat people are. It's that whole thing about, it's the same thing you get with, with gay people of, you know, we don't hate gay people. We just hate what they do. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I just think it is completely ridiculous that someone is too fat to play the blob. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it's like... You made a character whose superpower is being fat. Yeah, yeah, like it's... Yeah, but they don't want a fat actor playing a fat character. Yeah. The same um, reason you wouldn't want a gay character, a gay actor playing a gay character. I mean, that would just be, that would just be rude. 
But it's interesting that it's coming to the forefront in the superhero genre. That's just, I mean, it's synonymous with perfect bodies, you know, with the, the muscular, lean, 1% body fat. That's all of them. Well, it's not so, even that. It's this mythical perfection, which, yes, exactly. which is the point, you know, that's kind of get that. That's kind of the point of a superhero. They're beyond the realm of normal. But it gets to a certain point to be in the way that Barbie is beyond the realm of normal. You yeah. know, that these exaggerated body measurements are literally impossible. I mean, you could render down that entire widow team and you wouldn't have enough fat in there to make a stick of butter. <laughs> you know, no wonder they call out the one person on there that looks vaguely like a human being and say you're fat. Mm. You know? Well, and but, I think when you say looks like vaguely like a human being, and this came up in the David Harbour interview, another way of saying that is a person who looks like the audience. Yeah. Well, and I think the really interesting thing there is that uh, just sort of hearkening back to the fat Thor issue is that one of the writers, uh, when he was doing an interview, uh, mentioned that an audience member that he saw the movie with, uh, a woman said, I had no idea that you could actually make uh, Chris Hemsworth hotter. And mm. so there are people out there who are embracing the idea that superheroes can, A, still be hot when they look like us, and B, look like us, period. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that is also reflected some uh, in sort of the embracement, and again, not everybody, but by uh, David Harbour's sort of dad bod. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about Stranger Things, like some people really like that. And that's it's becoming a talking point in and of itself like that. That can be OK. So there is kind of a, a pushback. What I found interesting was I overheard a lot of people talking about like, well, like he looked still looked pretty good like that. Who would have seen that coming? And. There are a lot of people out there who were discovering because that's one of the few times they've seen that presented in any kind of sympathetic way that this did look OK to them. Well, and, and more than OK, I mean, there's a whole bunch of us Chevy Chasers oh, out yeah. there. And there and, you know, for people who don't know, there are a whole lot of women who prefer their men fat. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. are female Chubby Chasers. And so it's I mean, one of the things I'm waiting for, it hasn't quite tipped yet, but not that it's just OK to be fat. But it's actually okay to admire that. It's actually okay to see that as a positive, as sexy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We're still struggling with making fat neutral or acceptable. So we're even farther away from making it sexy or desirable. But what I mean, as somebody who speaks on this and writes about this, one of the most common questions I get is how in the world could fat be sexy? I think we might get closer to that as Marvel is barreling on. We have... The, we're entering phase four and part of that is the Eternals which is going to have a uh, Gilgamesh played by Don Lee is like fat I mean still it's still like in my mind like Hollywood fat that's fine that's, um, that's but forward. it's we're getting closer to a character who is fat as opposed to oh this character is fat now if you bring that out of the uh, out of the X-Men universe out of the superhero geek realm just into normal everyday television mm -hmm. it seems that if you have a fat character or just a character who's played by a fat actor. Mm -hmm. There is this obligatory requirement that the character always be seen eating. Yeah, it has mm -hmm. to be which, synonymous. Which is, rem which is to me reminiscent of like, well, so if you're gonna make a fat superhero, of course they have to be doing two things. They have to be expelling and in consuming. Mm -hmm. And there's, and, and that's, I think that's from this expectation that you can't have a fat character who is as if, I think Trevor, you said this one night when we were home, as if people wouldn't know he was fat if he weren't constantly eating. Yeah. Like we have to make sure people know. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of David Harbour and, you know, his being too fat to be the blob, <laughs> uh, Washington State re recently ruled that obesity, as they call it, 
is, is a protected class, meaning that you cannot discriminate against someone for being obese. And I keep using the word obese because they have a particular medicalized definition of this. It's not my word of choice in any way. Uh, they're not the first state to do this. Uh, I think Michigan was. Yeah. And Massachusetts is considering such a law. But here's the conundrum about this. It's sort of like the right decision, but for the wrong reason. So it's the right decision in that, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to be fired or denied employment because you're whatever they say is the wrong size. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the way that the court justified this was they said that being fat is naturally a disability oh. and therefore needs to be addressed as such, as a protected class, the way people in wheelchairs or whatever would be. The initial claim, this was against, I think, a railroad company. Yeah. And the railroad company says, well, look, it's not a disability because you could change it. It arises because of other conditions. It's not itself its own condition. And Washington State said, no, that's not the case. It is its own condition. But in all of this argumentation, the basic underlying premise is that fat people are always unhealthy and therefore always entitled to this coverage. Well, let me take that a step further because the interesting thing for me is the idea that, okay, so if you're very, very fat, you have your other, right? Like that's how mm -hmm. it's viewed. Um, or let's say you have a mental disability, which is now they're both disabilities, right? In Washington state. But that just also, that just makes you other. So it, how different is that really? Like if it, if it just puts you in a place where you are, you need to be protected. No, as I that, say, it's the right result, but for the wrong reason. Right, but is it, I think the I think one of the questions that comes up to my mind is is kind of phrasing. I know it's semantic, but like, are they designating it as a minority status? No, where it's specific. That's not it. it They're designating it as a physical disease, hmm. which even the CDC acknowledges. It's not a disease, but it's but our prevention efforts sell better if we call it a disease. It is not technically a disease, right? But people have picked up on this because it's a better it's a better club to beat people over the head with if we call it a disease. Oh dear lord! Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to unpack this in my head now. Yeah, it's 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 this a bit a thorny, but you know, you know, at the end of the day, it's a good result. It's going to bite us in the ass later, probably because of the reasoning behind it. But it, you know, right now, good decision. Like one of the one of the stats is that the average fat person over their lifetime will make something like. 25% less than a, a quote unquote normal sized person with the same uh, the same qualifications. Don't quote me on that number. I can't remember the exact number on that. It might be 10. It might be 25. So that does to me that definitely designates a minority status that is in need of some sort of protections. If or, you're not making the same equity on your labor that someone else is simply because of your appearance. Or you just can't get hired. There are studies out there that the majority of hiring managers will not hire fat women because they're fat yeah, and, and therefore look like they can't do their job. Uh, Victoria, Texas, there was a hospital that told all of their employees that if, you're, if you have a BMI over 35, you can't work there because health workers should look healthy and being fat doesn't look healthy. I wonder if that was ever applied to their muscular employees. Just curious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm very muscular and I'm not fat and I have a BMI over 30. To me, that equates to sort of the glass ceiling for women, right? Women have issues being hired for certain jobs because of their gender. Women earn, on average, what I can't remember, 17% less, 18% less than men, something like that. Again, don't quote me on numbers. I suck at numbers. I was an art major in college. <laughs> if a minority can do the labor 
and is not receiving equal pay for it, they are deserving of the protections. That That's my thinking on it. Yeah. Being female is not a disability. This coverage is being extended because it's seen as a disability. <sighs> and that's, and but you know what? That may just be what it has to be right now. I'm as curious said, though, yeah. so in Massachusetts, it's, uh, sorry, in, um, Michigan. in Michigan, is that how it's also handled? Is it handled as a disability and therefore is protected? I don't know. I don't know. See, that would be, I'd be interested to know. I actually don't know the answer to that either. And many municipalities have protections. For, a few, yeah, that's right. For fat people. Uh, but it's very, it's very local. It's very local and there's not that many of them. I think there's like maybe a, a dozen, a dozen yeah. over the course of the entire United States. And they're major cities like you know, I don't, yeah, San, Francisco. San Francisco is one of them. Mi yeah. I was saying Minneapolis. Uh, I don't remember all of them. But yeah, yeah, there's a handful of localities that that will protect that people. But it's and I'm I am curious, though, if they all handle it the same route as calling it a disability. Uh, I know that I don't think Michigan does. Now that I'm recalling it, I believe Michigan, it's it's more of a equal rights. Mm -hmm. I think the way they phrase it is you can't fire or deny uh, employment on the basis that someone doesn't look healthy enough. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm remembering that too. And we'll have references for all of these things as well. Michigan's um, basically weight protection mm. uh, stuff is rolled into any, any other discrimination. Okay. So it's uh, discrimination based on Weight as well as race, disability, color, age, religion, height, sex, national so origin, they or marital do status. treat it like a more minority status. Yeah. Yes. And so the question for me is, why can't it just be that? Well, because the state, in the, in the case of Washington, of how it came through the courts, it came as a medical thing. It was initially denied by the federal courts, and the federal court says, no, it's not a protected class, and you're fat. Stop being fat. Mm -hmm. But when it got applied to the state court, the state court, as I said, has a broader range of what they see as uh, fairness and employment based on physical disability. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they just classified obesity as a disability. Right. But hey, I mean, look, we're looking at two states now that have taken that correct step forward. And one is uh, Massachusetts is also on the cusp. They of could be the that. third. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you know, progress is progress. I agree. I think one of the big issues I always run into is if, for me, it's always coming back to BMI. The concept oh, of BMI right. just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's been so widely discredited. It's just absurd that we're still hanging on to it. It's so easy, though. It's so easy for people to just say, oh, but the BMI, it's just it's such a it's such a bullet point to look at. Well, and what really what really kills me is that it's not they say BMI, but they don't mean BMI. Because as soon as I show up with my Index. BMI over 30, they say, oh, but not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it's almost like saying, oh, no, not you. You're white. Oh, not you. You're muscular. Right, like, exactly. that, 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 it's, this, it's this pass when, you know, they're, they're not acknowledging the enormous flaw in the system and the enormous well, lie of it. And you know what's hilarious to me? Like, I, so Dan, I mean, like, you are a very buff person. You work out a lot. I don't. Um, I'm ba by all accounts, your perfectly average sized person. I'm five, nine, five, 10. Um, and I recently lost a little bit of weight, but I was around 200 to 10 pounds earlier this year. That puts me at a BMI of 30, which is technically obese. Mm -hmm. What, what does that mean? It means you're denied certain medical coverage. It means you're denied health insurance. It means yep. that you are now, uh, you qualify for certain disabilities apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Uh, it means, and it means that you could be fired because you have a number that influences people's perception of you. My knowledge of the modern 
system of BMI was that it was primarily created with a sample of white people. Oh yeah, white men, middle class men. Oh, that's right, it was all male or I mostly mean, male. And then you know we had to, they had to include yeah. females. So they and so like at one point I needed I needed a surgery for uh, I needed surgery for something. And I was basically told by the surgeon, like, well, with your BMI, that's not going to be possible. And he told me I had to get down to, I think it was 220 pounds before he would consider giving me surgery. And I'm like, you could amputate two of my limbs. Like, I, I don't think I could survive 220 pounds. That is not the way I'm built. I'm, I'm six foot three. I'm very broad framed and I'm native Hawaiian. Like we don't go that way, but I have to live up to the standard that was created for another race in another decade. Well, and that's what I mean by the discrimination that BMI enforces. Yeah, exactly. It's a medicalized bigotry. It's yeah, it's okay because people don't know what they don't know anything about it. They just know it's a number that you're supposed to achieve. Well, and what I was going to say is that it's historically BMI was created in the 19th century for comparing entire populations of countries. Right. Mm. It was a way to compare what Sweden looked like against Poland as just a matter of like, what do your people look like? It was never ever intended until the 1970s mm-hmm. and then much more so in the 1980s to get at, well, what's your worth? What's your BMI? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the word comes from, right? Body mass index. It's index. meant to be an entire <laughs> sample size of different people. Sure. Yeah. Averaged yeah. together. I actually well, didn't know about the country comparison. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was initially designed to compare huge populations. Yeah, and which makes it all the more antiquated. And like how, how much has modern medicine yeah. changed in the last 20 years, much less the last 100? But all of these sort of laws that I've seen so far that re- reference weight in any way always refer to body mass index. Well, and what's even measure. funnier. OK, so if people out there want to get underneath all this, something that you can Google is the obesity paradox. And what we'll, you'll find is study after study after study that contradicts the idea that being fat is unhealthy. For example, so-called overweight people, this is people with a a BMI, I think, between 25 and 30, actually have higher life expectancies than people with a lower BMI. And you will find studies that in elderly people, you find that the greatest predictor of health in elderly is not BMI, and it is not even body fat. It is activity level. Mm Mm-hmm. And though, I mean, this I, this is just a, a tangent, but uh, it just sort of shows uh, the way people perceive it. I saw my mom recently and it came up that, you know, she thought that, you know, if somebody were fatter, that they wouldn't be able to be active. Right. That 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 she and she just sort of was posing it as a and, and immediately my sister and I were like, well, no, you know, that's just not untrue. My friend of mine is a is a very successful dancer and is also morbidly obese in quotes. And, you know, like not that you should even have to put forth evidence that that's not the case, but that's just how people see it. That you, you know, if you are obese, then you have to be sitting on your couch all day. Oh, well, and and any number of fat people will tell you anecdotally about how nobody believes you're the weight you are. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I had to convince uh, a couple Christmases ago, I got Dan a trail ride for Christmas um, and I was at the the ranch and I, I was not planning I did not want to get on a horse I am too fat to be on a horse and I had to argue with the woman that like no I cannot go on the horse I like she's like oh no we got like a big uh what's the the pol- big pulling horse Clydesdale. Oh, Clydesdale yeah Clydesdale and it's down the road and we can bring him over and I'm like no I'm like I, I'm over 350 pounds way <laughs> oh way over. Yeah. yeah and, and she's like oh well, you don't look it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a similar experience at the, what is the the trampoline chain? 
like take flight or there's a it's basically large trampoline floors where mm-hmm. people bounce around and i, re- I read that like there's a max weight for 350 per trampoline mm-hmm. and a friend's like oh no you'll be fine so i'm like there's an eight foot drop under each of these things. <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you think i'll be okay but you know no, it's I'm not, not going to risk that. Let's yeah. not risk it. Yeah. Well, and you know, back to the, we were talking about the movies and Hollywood fat, Cameron Manheim in her book, uh, Wake Up, I'm Fat. She tells the story of going to an audition mm-hmm. and the casting call was for a fat woman of between like 250 and 280 pounds. And she goes and, you know, she doesn't get the job. And they said, well, you know, you're not quite fat enough. Mm. And she said, I'm well over three. I think at the time she was 320, 340. She says, I'm well over your casting call. And it's because, again, in Hollywood, their call for someone 240 to 280 was to to ensure that the person could still walk. And it goes back to that thing with it goes back to that thing with David Harbour, where, you know, he shows off that he has a gut and they think he's going to drop dead of a heart attack in 10 seconds. (laughs) And, And by the way, this is just. Knowing how directors tend to look, I'm really curious, like how much of a gut the director had as well, because I can't imagine it was much less than David Harbour does. Like he's not that fat. I would very much agree with you. (laughs) It is unlikely that the director was some sort of fitness model who also trains at Equinox. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have brought a uh, a weight loss device that I've discovered that apparently this is, I was thinking we could do it historically, but this one is still apparently in use, which shocks the hell out of me. Now, my original concept was to bring things that were funny or bizarre. This one's bizarre, but it's also kind of horrifying. So I'm sort of, I'm, I'm hesitant to bring this up because and it disturbed me. To be clear, none of us know what you're about to yeah, say. I have no Everyone's point. staring at me like I'm a crazy person right now. <laughs> This one is called the tongue patch diet. Oh, dear. (laughs) Have you heard of this? No. No. Okay. This has been invented by this one doctor that has apparently put it out there in the world. Uh, Started being used in 2009. What they do is they surgically attach a plastic patch to your tongue. So you can't taste. One, so that you can't taste. But two, so that the act of eating solid food will be physically painful to you. Intentionally painful. Intentionally painful. Painful. Oh, yes. There's a long history of this. Um, so it's basically it's operant conditioning to make eating physically agonizing. The thing that we all so, need so, to do to survive. It's a crueler version of wiring someone's jaw shut. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's purely pain. There's no reason yeah. to have something cosmetic on the outside <laughs> when they can just screw up your tongue on the inside. Oh, I have so much um, to say about this already. <laughs> <laughs> um, so apparently this article does note it has been criticized. Oh, has it? By experts oh. in media outlets. Criticized. Oh. But apparently this is a thing still in use. Of so I'm curious, though, before we get into the uh, breaking down and eviscerating of this horrible thing, how in use? Like, is it what well, is the market penetration? According oh my to God, this I'm, article, I'm looking at pictures and it's it, yeah. <laughs> you found it online. So there is only one doctor in U.S. in the U.S. who offers it. And it is the guy who invented it. But apparently in Venezuela, um, it, there is some there is some popularity for it can i see the picture okay so we have a picture that we're passing around on the phone right now it it looks like a mesh that has been stapled Stapled. to the tongue yeah yeah uh but like not even it's not tongue colored it's just a giant white mat well 
that they pin yeah. to your tongue. Look, if you're going oh. to punish someone for being fat, there's no point in making it cosmetic. So yeah, there is still <laughs> a visual shaming going on. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Well, I, I can't imagine talking of nothing on your tongue. I just, you're yeah, gonna, your tongue is how you form. Like, yeah, I think of how much easier it is than just wiring the jaw shut, which was, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if you realize that was before gastric bypass, that was all the rage. I did not know that. Yes. I, I've seen it as like a joke. No, thing no, no, movies, no, no. That that was a big deal for people who either couldn't afford or for people who could, didn't have access to actual amputation of the stomach. Well, if you're listening to this, <laughs> go find that one guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the what was it? In the 1800s, there was a diet called the Move Away from the Swamp Diet. Oh yes, sir. <laughs> Be, what? They, this this doctor, apparently well-respected physician of some sort, decided that. Apparently, most fat people live near a swamp. So if you are overweight, move farther away from the swamp. Well, yeah. Much fine. like ogres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was there was a whole craze in the 19th century about malaria, that, that bad air caused disease. And so it was just a natural offshoot that it would cause obesity as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's a lot of history in here. No, what gets me I about this. I would love this, to be able to blame my thighs on a swamp. That would be awesome. <laughs> it's all that swamp water you've been drinking. Look, we live in a desert, so. <laughs> I got yeah. as far from the swamp as I could. No, what, what kills me about this is it's just another form of treating the bigotry. The idea that fat people are natural hedonists and gluttons. And so if we prevent hedonism and gluttony, we will prevent fat people. And it's absolutely horrible. One of the fun reasons why we wanted to do this is because all four of us have different perspectives on this subject. And we all know each other pretty well. Like Trevor and I have been playing. Can I, can I out you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> can I out you? Trevor and Michael and I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a little while. <gasps> We're geeks. Oh be afraid. God. Be very afraid. You know, Michael and I have been making some film projects on the side. Mm -hmm. uh, Trevor and Michael have known each other forever. I think Trevor and Dan have some sort of relationship. You know each other somehow. I we know. got really well acquainted after the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of the four of us, like, I, I actually know you least of hmm. the group, uh, Dan. Yeah. Uh, this is Don speaking. So I, I understand that you have written a book about this subject. That makes you some sort of expert. <laughs> some sort, some sort. Uh, yeah. What is the book? What is the name of the book? So the name of the book is The Round World, Life at the Intersection of Love, Sex, and Fat. Okay. And it comes out of what I've been doing for many, many years, which was I was giving seminars at big men's events. This is for, uh, this is for fat guys and their male admirers. And then I started leading seminars at, uh, on the heterosexual side of the street, which typically tends to be for fat women and their male admirers. And something that would come up over and over again is this sort of the relationship, because it's sort of an asymmetrical relationship. You know, if you're a fat person in the world, you deal with being fat on a minute by minute basis. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very fair statement. And it's like, I feel like of all the identifying factors of myself, like my friends wouldn't necessarily identify me as fat as being the primary identifier, but I do. But you do. Yeah, because it's yeah. the kind of thing, it's that's the thing that the world approaches me, with me and, with. And I'm quick to say that that's day. not true of all fat people, but that's true of a lot of fat people. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly many valuable and important exceptions. But you will then not be surprised that that also crops up in relationship. Oh, yeah. You know, what is it like to date in a fat body? Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that, you know, what is, what is it like to be a chubby chaser or a fat admirer, as they're called in straight nomenclature? What is it like to see beauty where other people see ugliness? What do you do with that as a fat person? What do you do with admiration, appreciation, even sex appeal? for a par an aspect of you that you don't particularly care for, perhaps. 
I, I had never really thought about the stigma towards chasers until I was I had a conversation with my dad. God bless him. My dad is has no issue with the gay thing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. When I came out to my dad, he tried to hook me up with his electrician. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the best possible scenario anyone could hope for. But when I told my dad, like, yeah, I try to mostly just date guys where my body is a positive, that it's something they want in the relationship, not just something they have to overlook or overcome. And his response was like, well, why would you want to do that? Like, there's clearly be something wrong with them. And Mm. it didn't occur to him that that was, you know, a hurtful or horrific statement at the time. But well, and I will tell you that a lot of fat people do have that attitude about chubby chasers that I, you know, I want they want someone who dislikes their body the same way that they do. They want someone to tolerate their body and they do not want someone who's turned on by it. Now, to be fair, because chubby chasers can pass, there's a cost to passing. Just like people assuming you're straight and you don't say anything because you know it's kind of easier just to be straight. Mm-hmm. And people assuming that of course you like that hot guy on TV because you know it's kind of easier not to contradict your friends about that. Mm-hmm. There's a cost when that continually, continually builds up and there's a shame and there's a guilt that compounds. And here's the real problem. That shame and that guilt does not stay with the chubby chaser. It leaks out onto you when you date him, if it's not taken care of. So a chubby chaser who's closeted is much more likely to say things like, oh, Don, yeah, you were really great, but you know, if we're out, you don't know me. You know that, right? I've had that experience. It's all that mistreatment, and it's not really to do with you. It's to do with fat stigma, so yeah, it has to do with you. But it's really the chubby chaser being so guilt-ridden and ashamed that he can't get past it. And my message is, you as a fat person, you don't gotta, you don't gotta stand for that. It's interesting the way that you discuss it though. It sounds sort of like a, a closeted man concealing his homosexuality, talking with his straight friends that he's not out to, and that sort of same overlap. Absolutely right. In fact, I don't know if Michael, if you ever had this experience, but most chasers tell me that if you're a gay chaser, it's a second coming out. Yeah. So this is something you do talk about in your book? Absolutely. And, and what, in my summer. What was your book called again? Uh, it's called The Round World, Life at the Intersection of Love, Sex, and Fat. Nice. And that's on Amazon? It's on Amazon. It's an ebook and paperback. Awesome. Having read the book, I can vouch for it strongly. Oh, thank you. So this Tuesday, um, I am flying to Chicago for a, a friend's wedding that weekend. Um, and I'm flying Southwest because I get my second seat free on Southwest. And it used to be that, you know, people were down on Southwest because... Well, they threw people off planes for for being fat and taking up more than two seats. And they've come back from that with a much more generous policy, which is not that you sometimes get a seat free if there's room, but that you always get a free seat and they will make room. And that's the big change that a lot of people don't know about. So when I booked my tickets, you know, I bought I bought two seats and I, you know, had Trevor Keys on and then my second seat as Trevor XS Keys on XS for the middle initial. Uh, not as in excess, mm-hmm. extra seat. Yeah. This way I was able to, uh, once you purchase it as two seats and mark it as excess, they just know, okay, this is an extra seat and they get it all arranged. When I go to the airport, I'm going to get um, a special little strip that I put on the seat next to me that says uh, seat reserved. Uh, and then I pre-board, put that on my second seat and I will have someone... Uh, I'll probably take the window seat, have my mid- second middle seat, and someone will sit on the aisle with me and get a little extra room. And what I really appreciate is they've really gone, they were the first airline ever that would allow you to book a second seat 
completely online. So you you never had to call up the, the, the phone line and be, okay, sorry, but I need a second seat. How do we do? Like you don't have to talk to anybody. You can just book it in the privacy of your own home without talking to no one. Because most airlines, if you try to put in the same name for two seats, it'll kick out. It'll kick it out. Hmm. Now, they're, I say they're the first because some airlines, recognizing that some people would love to book two seats, have started admitting this into their software system. So that was my next question, actually, because I didn't actually. And I think Don is in the same situation. I yeah. didn't know that you could this do is that the first at all. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Do they um, reimburse you? For so I should clarify. Get? So I paid up front for two seats, mm -hmm. but once my flight is completed, I email Southwest. They refund me that money. Really? Um, However, you can just show up fat at the airport. Yeah. How it works is um, when you get your boarding pass, what they suggest you do is go to the ticketing agent and say, I need a second seat. Or if you need a third seat, um, they will give you it there and they will take care of it. They haven't explicitly said that if the flight is oversold, they will bump someone for you. For me, uh, Southwest has been verboten since. And that's why I, I said got they changed on there their and they tried to charge me for an extra seat even though I was sitting with my father and stepmother and they were like, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so. why they made this policy is because it's everyone loses with the, the, old of the old policy. Yeah. Um, because people, you know, either don't know they need a second seat or it's, you know, they're traveling family and it's going to work. But the flight attendants don't know this and they are just trying to follow yeah, no gate this agent policy. wants to throw someone off a flight and no passenger wants to get thrown off a flight. Yeah. As you say, it's lose-lose. And this is really the the only airline that offers a policy this generous. I think Alaskan Airlines, you will get like 25% off your second seat. Air France has a similar like discounted rate for the second seat and mm -hmm. they don't charge you some taxes. Interesting. Now there's another thing that that's sort of a backdoor advantage of Southwest. This sounds like a big Southwest commercial, but it's just that they offer this. If you're really fat, you have much bigger clubs, and the odds of you being able to fit every piece of clothing you need for your trip in a tiny carry-on that goes in the overhead compartment is oh. rather low. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 Yeah, no. so, you know, Trevor here, you know, he travels with luggage. Yeah. I can get away with a week trip and a rollerboard, you know, weeks, you know, weeks worth of clothes, but, you know, you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. So it is important that Southwest actually lets you check bags for free. Whereas, again, if you were on another airline, you might have to not only pay for that second seat, but then pay for the baggage that you're going to check oh, as yeah. well. I'm flying mm -hmm. on United later this month. Oh my it's God. like a $40 markup to send a bag. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, again, Southwest, you don't worry about this. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we want to do as we start to wrap up is, you know, how do you reach out to us if, if you are so fascinated by our lovely voices that you want to maybe submit questions or just say hi. Stories. And send us your two cents on what we're talking about. Yes, we've shared this has affected you in the past. A couple of our personal stories, but there's always more to mine. Um, so I know that Trevor has set up a couple of our social media channels. Yeah, so we're on um, Twitter and Instagram as at uh, Big Fat Gay Pod. Also, uh, www.bigfatgaypod.com. Yes. And Big Fat at, Gay Pod. Yes. Big Fat Gay Pod. And I think the important thing about that is that because we're referencing a lot of different articles in media and et cetera, uh, we'll have all of those things referenced on the website. So if you ever want to go back and fact check us or learn more, uh, you can always find it there. Yeah. Um, we'll keep that updated. So that was our first podcast. Woo! Our very first one. Yay. Well, no, it's not your first one, Don. <laughs> <laughs> He's done this literally hundreds of times before. Uh just I, I'm I'm a, I'm a podcast whore. I wander around. I kind of like I dip times. my microphone wherever I please. Thank Wait, you so much. the the two chasers in the room are newbies to the podcast world. I, I no. think I'm probably the newbiest. 
Well, I've been on the radio, but I guess that's not. Aha. Thank you. And both of you have those smooth jazz voices. We'll do fine. That's right. So thanks for spending some time with us. And yeah. hopefully you'll come back and visit us again sometime. You should rate us and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform, be it Spotify, iTunes, etc. Uh, it oh, always helps us out. Apple Podcasts is the the big one. Uh, oh, sorry, not, the, it's not iTunes anymore. Oh my God, we're in a new decade and it's everything new, is different. Right, now. everything's new. <laughs> Things just, are changing so fast. I'm just gonna go put a record on Dan's my gramophone. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool, awesome. Uh, this has been a lot of fun for me. I hope it has been for you yeah. guys as well. Um, and to everyone home and listening, thank you so much. Um, we're gonna come back and do this some more. And uh, hopefully we'll bring you something new and interesting to listen to and maybe even make you laugh sometimes. And if you're in a car, there's someone behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Look out. (laughs) 